Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season three. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Season 3, Episode 19, Choices. And oh, the choices that were made this episode. Cara, this is the first episode in a while, or maybe ever, where I so badly wanted to talk about spoilers. <laughs> like, I wish we had a spoiler podcast right now, because there's so many I agree. choices <laughs> in this episode. There's so many choices, choices in this episode that impact stuff, stuff later on. And I want to talk about it. So I guess we'll have to wait till our season three wrap up. Absolutely. And I think our listeners will be happy when we get there. Um, and if anybody has hot stakes for season three or for the season three finale, this is the time to get them in. Also, our Faith on Trial episode, which we plan to be doing uh, closer to the end of the season as well. Send us those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to do a little housekeeping for the Prophecy Girls podcast right now. I just want to remind everybody that we put trigger warnings in our episode descriptions and show notes. So wherever you're listening to, whatever platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you're listening from, you'll see that we write descriptions for every episode. And in those descriptions, we also include trigger warnings for sensitive topics that we cover in our conversations, uh, just to let everyone know like what they're getting into. Yep. Sometimes we do mention whether we're going to be talking about something sensitive like sexual assaults or school shootings. Sometimes we do say that in the episode themselves uh but we have a process don't we cara (laughs) in how we record yeah it's just it's it's hard for us to put them at the beginning of the episode because we don't know what we're going to be discussing necessarily until we get to that part of the discussion and then by the time we get to the end of the episode we don't necessarily remember what we've talked about so it's hard to kind of do the recording and stick it at the beginning anyway Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why when we listen back to the episodes, we always make sure that we're paying attention to potentially triggering subjects and make a note of that in the show notes for people. Yeah. So we do this for you. We do this for us. (laughs) So anything else to clean up? Kara, is that enough housekeeping for us today? I think so. I'm ready to talk about choices. Me too. And how amazing Willow is in this episode. Oh my god. I love Willow so much. Such a good episode for her. I'm glad she's really picking up steam in the last half of the season. I'm glad. Uh, So we start off the episode in the mayor's office. He is telling Faith to open her eyes. He's got a gift for her and she's sitting at his desk. And uh, he says he doesn't need a reason to show her his affection or appreciation for running a small errand at the airport for him. And Faith gives him some sass and says, what's next? You're going to want me to help a buddy of yours move a sofa? And the mayor says, this isn't a free ride, young lady. I'm beginning to think that somebody's beginning to get a little spoiled. Maybe I should take this back. And... Faith is like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. And he's like, that's my girl. And then he offers her a cookie because he's got cookies on his desk. This is how you know the mayor is evil. In the previous episode, he had milk. In this episode, he has cookies. But he doesn't have milk and cookies together. What game is he playing here? (laughs) You got to enjoy milk by itself. 
if you can. And then you got to eat Cookie's dry mouth? (laughs) Spawn of hell over here. So Faith is very sorry. And like, I think this is such an interesting thing to show us about their relationship because he's, you know, coo, coo, coo. Like he's being a dad to her, right? But he's also low-key threatening her. Here's a pretty gift, but, you know, you have to do something for me to get it. Like it's, it's not just a gift for you. You actually have to go and do some evil for, for me. But Faith is eating it up because he also offers her cookies and says, that's my girl. And he's doting on her like a father. So it's just really a toxic, a toxic relationship over here, Kara. But I love it. And the mayor is saying that a package is arriving tomorrow from Central America to the airport and something crucially important to his ascension. Without it, well, what would Toll House Cookies be without the chocolate chips? A pretty darn big disappointment, I can tell you. <laughs> so she opens her present and it's a very large knife and she loves it. She's like, it's, it's a thing of beauty, boss. And he says it costs a pretty penny and uh, he wants her to take good care of it. And while he's talking about this, he's like wrapping up the cookies in saran wrap. Like <laughs> he's such a dad, right? While Faith admires the knife. And he says, you know, be careful with that. I don't want you to put somebody's eye out with that thing until I tell you to. And Faith asks any particular eyes in mind. And that's when we cut to Angel and Buffy fighting two vampires in the cemetery. Angel's stomach peeks out of his shirt at one point. I don't know if you noticed that, Kara. I caught it for sure. You might be surprised and shocked to know I did not notice that. <laughs> well, go go rewatch again and, and feast your eyes. I, I don't watch the angel sh- scenes on half speed like you do, Steph. <laughs> Who told you I did that? <laughs> Slow it right down. That's how I caught the little glimpse of his abs. Uh, but basically, Buffy calls him honey. <laughs> He's a honey, but she calls him a honey as in like they're together and dating um, because she throws a vampire on him. She's like, sorry, honey. And they both fight the vamps. They both dust the vamps about the same time. Angel asks her if she wants to do another sweep. Buffy says, do you get the feeling that we're kind of in a rut? You never take me any place new. <laughs> and Angel's like, well, what about that fire demon nest in the cave by the beach? Thought that was a nice change of pace. <laughs> so... Buffy starts asking if, if this is their future. This is this is how they're going to spend their nights when she's 50 and he's the same age he is now. I, sorry, I think she said, and you're 50 years older than you are now, <laughs> right? Like, right. Like she doesn't remember exactly how old he is. Yeah. He's so, but he, you know, he, he, the point is he's not going to age. She is going to get older. She is going to die. And that is a hurdle for them to negotiate if their relationship is long term, right? It's true. It's true. And like Angel just says, let's get let's get you to 50 as they hear a growl in the distance and they go back to hunting. But this is obviously something in their relationship that they've been avoiding. <laughs> Literally, they've been avoiding it because back in season two, remember in Bad Eggs when they were making out in this very cemetery? And she said, I don't think about the future. All I see is you. Like, I'm just so in love with you. And we at the time you and I were saying, well, yeah, she's 16 or 17. She's in love with him. That makes sense. But you and I have also been saying how this relationship has been building and building and building to where it is now. And we think they've found a nice maturity in their relationship for the most part. So, of course, these more mature situations or these more real dynamics to a real relationship are going to start coming into the foreground of their thoughts. And I like this progression for them. I, 
I, I don't particularly like <laughs> what it could mean for their relationship, but it is realistic and it's it's a good time to start talking about this, especially now that they're no longer on a break. I was also kind of shocked that Buffy's bringing this up now because literally last episode, they just got back together and she's like, we're in a rut. <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, some time has passed. You know, we're getting closer and closer to graduation. So so uh, we cut to credits where after credits, Buffy is studying at the breakfast table. Uh, Joyce comes in and she's like, when were you going to tell me? And Buffy thinks she's busted because she's wearing Joyce's earrings. But really, Joyce is really happy for Buffy because she got accepted to Northwestern University. And Buffy hadn't told Joyce yet, but she's so proud. It's so wonderful. And I did something very unlike me, Kara. And I actually did some research before we started <sighs> recording. <gasps> oh, no. I need the smelling salts. <laughs> Speaking of maturity, I think I also have grown a bit. And I, I looked up Northwestern University because I didn't know what it was. Um it's a really good school. It's like top 10, like a top 10 national school in the States. So really hard to get into. And Buffy got in and I was like shook by this because like Buffy's smart. We know Buffy's smart and she worked really hard in her fourth year of high school. But uh, I don't know. I just, I just, I just think that like, you know, her, her grades can't be that amazing. She did test well in the SATs though. I guess that matters more mm. than your day-to-day schoolwork. I don't know. Anyway, good for you, Buffy. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm not <laughs> doubting your accomplishment here. I'm just surprised. <laughs> I'm more surprised than Joyce. Buffy doesn't seem excited by this. And Joyce is saying, you know, it's not cheap. And by the way, it's about 60 grand to go for four years to Northwestern. I looked that up as well. Uh, it, Joyce says it's not cheap. and But they can make it work if her father pitches in. And I was like, if her father pitches in, Hank, what the fuck? What the fuck? All you need to do is give her money for university. But Joyce is saying it's a great school. I'm so proud of you. And she can't stop telling Buffy that. And Buffy wants to start to tell her that she can't go. But then she changes the subject. She's like, you know, I I can't decide on a school right now. And Joyce is like, oh, I'm just so pleased that you have so many choices. Ooh, she said the name. (laughs) But it's true. Uh, Buffy does have a big choice ahead of her. And we've we hear more about this as the episode goes on, but she does get, she's nice enough to give Joyce this like moment of being a parent and being a happy parent. So Joyce goes to call her aunt, Buffy's aunt Arlene, because her family live in Illinois. We never hear about this aunt Arlene again. Yeah, I know. She very likely <laughs> died right after this. So on campus, two Mitches are at a picnic table. One brings the other lunch in a bag and Snyder takes it and he's like, what's in the bag? And the kid's like, my lunch? (laughs) And Snyder just says, oh, is that new drug lingo? And he looks inside. Sure enough, it's probably like a sandwich. And uh, he gives it back and he's just like, sit up straight. So (laughs) we don't get a lot of Snyder in this episode. But when we do, he's obviously on an anti-drug tirade at the school. Nearby, Willow, Oz, and Buffy are sitting at a picnic table. Xander's reading at at a tree nearby. Not sure why. Uh, he's looking at nudie pics. He's, like, uh, he's found one of those hidden books in Giles's stash and decided to look at tits as, as he is wont to do. And Buffy is telling them that her mom is in a continent of denial and has to realize that Buffy can't go away. And Willow says, well, maybe not now, but soon, maybe. And then she's like, Maybe I too hail from denial land. And Buffy says that Faith's turn to the dark side of the force kiboshed any of her plans for going away. 
But Buffy can go to UC Sunnydale, which is the the town's university. Two things. Why did they automatically just assume that Faith was going to take over for Buffy? Like Buffy was going to go and have a life and Faith wasn't. That's pretty presumptuous. I think, I mean, that is kind of the way the cookie crumbles, but they didn't ask her. Well, Faith was so gung-ho about being a slayer. That was her life. She didn't seem to be going to school at Sunnydale, despite being on school campus all the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, like she she lived in this crappy motel. Her life was killing things, which I think is part of that vulnerability of why she did eventually have her heel turn, right? Is she didn't have connections. She didn't have, you know, other healthy outlets or anything. Yeah. So that's who she is. That's how she sees herself. So I, I think it makes sense for the other characters to pick up on that and say, you know, Faith is always going to be the Slayer. She has embraced that as her role. Whereas Buffy, as we have known from since before season one, since the movie, she has always been ambivalent about her calling. And it just keeps manifesting in slightly different ways throughout her life. Yeah. And I think obviously this episode is called Choices. So we're going to see that theme of choices all the way through. But here we are touching on the fact that Buffy actually has choices and Faith never did. At least not according to the Scoobies. Ooh, <laughs> so deep, Steph. Wow. Okay. And then that's as, that's as deep as I could ever get. So I guess we'll end the podcast here. <laughs> so that, that was my first thing. Was my, was my thought on how unfair that is to Faith. My other one was, okay, I know that we have talked about frat houses in Sunnydale because of that wonderful episode called Reptile Boy. But we never actually ever talked about the university being in Sunnydale. And now we're learning, you know, three episodes before the end of the season that there is a UC Sunnydale. Well, it makes sense because Willow's parents are academics, right? Mm. So why would they live in Sunnydale if they weren't near to a university to work at? So maybe they work at UC Sunnydale. Although later in the episode, when Buffy's talking about housing, right, she says she wants to live on campus in residence because it's too far to, to drive every day from her mom's house. Mm -hmm. So it seems like maybe the university is called UC Sunnydale, but it's not actually like in Sunnydale. It's kind of like further outside Sunnydale, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, it's probably like a like a 20 minute drive. From Angels. Yeah, mentioned. something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So, well, I'm, hey, maybe we'll find out more about UC Sunnydale in the future. Who could say? But that struck me. I was like, wait a second. There's a convenient college just down the street. But that's how these teen shows go, don't they? So Buffy is congratulating Willow for getting into Oxford. And Willow is pretty excited about this. And Oz says there's some deep academia there. And Buffy's like, that's where they make Gileses. <laughs> And Willow says she can learn and have scones, but she's not sure how she feels about going to school in a foreign country. Xander pipes in and says everything in life is foreign territory. And he says that because he's reading On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Ugh. Oh, my God. Yes. If there's anything that would make me like Xander less, <laughs> they found it. It's such a, that's such a typical, like, well, especially for teenage boys and young adult men. You know, to read that, and then they think, you know, once they've read that and Catcher in the Rye, they, and they're just hot shit, and they're like, I know everything there is to know about life, it, and I'm it's so true, cool and mysterious. <laughs> it's just like, oh, so you read one book about a disaffected guy, and you're just like, 
that's your life now like it doesn't work that way but this is this is exactly what i expect from xander so yeah when he says like you know karak is his teacher the open road his school and buffy says making the open dumpster your cafeteria <laughs> i was like nice buffy nice um but Xander says, like, we bohemian anti-establishment types, which is what you're saying, Kara, he fancies himself one, um, have always been persecuted. And Oz says, well, sure, you're also weird. And Willow says I, she thinks it's neat that he's doing the backpack trail mix happy wanderer thing. And Xander agrees. He's like, you know, I, I know the score's high on the hokey meter, but it will be good for him. Help him find himself. So I agree with you, Kara. Like, I, this whole thing is a little bit much and, like, very particular to that type of high school boy who fancies himself as, like one with the world and somebody who really is really enlightened by just reading that book. But I will say that I think it's really nice that Willow, who knows Xander better than everyone and knows the life that he's coming from, the home life of possible mm -hmm. abuse, but definitely neglect. She's supportive of him wanting to get away and exploring a life on his own and leaving that home i think that's where that's coming from that little bit of friendship from willow which is nice um and on the other hand too i also want to say that again we've talked about this before xander is representing that student that's not going to continue with higher education after high school he's going to be workforce bound or he's going to travel or he's going to have to figure out his own thing because he didn't get the grades or he just wasn't nurtured to go to university and that's fine yes that's totally fine and it, it should be more normalized than it is uh and something that i always tell young people who like to listen to me i'm like you should travel you know you should get out of there um, obviously school's great too but if you don't want to go to school right away or at all that's fine like there's so much more out there that you can explore absolutely as a teacher i highly agree with that and you know, I teach adults and they're coming back to get their high school diploma because they've realized that, you know, some of them are have had a career and they realize that in order to go any further, they actually need to finish high school. Some of them just didn't finish high school and are coming back a couple of years later to finish it off. And so you definitely yeah. you want to finish high school, you need your high school diploma. Yes. But I look at some of them and, you know, I never want to gatekeep and I never want to be like, you can't go to college or university because sometimes... My students are their own worst gatekeepers and I have to like push them and be like, hey, like you could go to university if you wanted to. Don't rule it out. But I also try to remind them like there is nothing wrong with going into the trades, doing an apprenticeship, going right into the workforce if you have an idea of what you want to do. Um, we definitely privilege the narrative, the, the, you know, the high school to college or university pipeline. And that's not for everybody. So just make sure that whatever you choose to do, don't make your identity around on the road. <laughs> you should be fine. No matter what, don't do that. So, so I will give this to Xander in that I'm happy he's being optimistic about this because he doesn't sound like he has any, any other choice other than to kind of be a nomad for a bit. Uh, but I am actually excited to see Xander launch into the adult world and see where he goes. I think that is something interesting and different from the other Scoobies. So enough being nice about Xander. I'm ready to start slandering him again. Cordelia comes over after Xander says uh, he's going to learn something about himself. And she says, 
Yeah, well, she basically says, like, wherever you go, like, it's going to be far away from us and everyone's a winner. And Xander just says, did you hear about Willow getting into Oxford, MIT, Yale, and every other college in the face of the planet? As in your face, I rub it. Oh, this made me so, so mad, so mad, so mad. Because Xander, are you really rubbing the fact that you cheated on Cordelia with Willow and now you're saying, look how much better Willow is than you. When you never actually ever ended up with Willow. It's fucking low. I know that Cordelia came over and insulted you first, but that's low. Like shoving the girl that you cheat that you broke her heart with in front of her. Be like, look how much better she is. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, so Cordelia says, Oxford, whoopee. <laughs> Four years in Teabag Central. Sounds thrilling. And then she says, MIT is a Clarisel ad with housing. <laughs> And Yale is a dumping ground for those who didn't get into Harvard. And Willow reminds her that I did get into Harvard. So I just want to ask here at this point, I'm not familiar with how American college applications work. Here in Ontario, these days at least, probably this wasn't quite how it was in the late 90s, you apply to um, colleges and universities, usually online, right? And if you're doing it it with a university or a college in Ontario, uh, there's like a, an application fee to use the platform. So like you have to pay to apply to different places, at least here, here in Canada. I don't know how it works in the States. All of these people are applying to so many places. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a fee. There's, I don't know what the fee is anymore. I can't remember what it was when I applied. Probably per university is different. Yeah. Well, and, and so I don't know if in the States there's like a different fee for different places, mm-hmm. but like well, it was like I got into Oxford, I got into UC Sunnydale, I got into Harvard and Yale and MIT, and it's like, how many hundreds of dollars did your parents spend on all these applications? And I, I get the logic of applying to more than one place. I only applied to one university because I'm a basic bitch. And <laughs> I knew what I wanted, and it worked fine and whatever. Um, but like, I, I get applying to more than one place. I get having a safety school and stuff. But it's like Willow. <laughs> Chill. That's a lot of different universities. It's covering quite a lot of ground. You know, Oxford is a very different vibe from Yale or Harvard or MIT. And I understand that the writers are basically trying to show us how smart Willow is. But it's also just like, do you really have an idea of what you want to do at this point? And maybe you'd be better off following Xander and waiting a year mm-hmm. and then just replying to like the one or two universities you really want to go to. Because you know you're going to get in. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. I actually think it's such good advice to tell people who are applying to like literally dozens of universities because clearly they have no clue what exactly they want to study. Uh, Take a year. Take time, you know, and really pick because it is a big decision. It's a big choice to make for the next four years of your life. And I think it's actually quite shocking now that I'm older and think that you were forcing 17 and 18 year olds to make this choice. Like the next four years of your life? Are you kidding me? No wonder I changed my major three times. <laughs> so yeah, so um, Xander is asking where Cordelia will be attending university so that they can start calculating minimum safe distance from her. And Cordelia says like, none of your business. And she gets really snappy about that. She's like, certainly nowhere near you losers. And Buffy chimes in and says, you know, you guys don't forget to breathe between insults. And Cordelia snaps at Buffy. And she says, this conversation is reserved for those who actually have a future. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. And she walks away after that. And this is not a new insult for Cordelia. Cordelia has said this to Buffy before. 
but it's extra harsh now. And yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it either. It's really mean and uh, uncalled for. And later we'll see why she's lashing out perhaps in such a negative way, mm-hmm. but uh, that wasn't called for Cordelia. Only lash out at Xander. Buffy looks sad. Willow says she was just being Cordelia, you know, more so. <laughs> Don't pay attention to her. And Xander says she's definitely got a chip going. And Willow says you shouldn't goad her so much. And I like this. Willow, you're so good at this episode. Willow is chastising Xander for escalating well, the situation. Well, Xander says, I can't help it. It's my nature. And Willow's line at the end of the scene is, maybe you need a better nature. Yes. Chef's kiss. And I wrote that down in my notes because I'm just like, Willow, like we're not even that far into the episode. And you and I know that this is going to be a very good episode for Willow. But it's like, Willow is just on it. Well, yes, call out Xander. She's calling him out and also saying like, don't fucking bring me into it. Like she's not blaming Cordelia for being, for lashing out because Xander just brought up Willow, who he cheated on Cordelia with and hurt her deeply to insult her so willow's like stop right you didn't this didn't need to go to that that level Ooh, willow you are good so we go to the library buffy's telling wesley that she wants to leave after she graduates and he's not having it he's like but you're a slayer (laughs) and buffy says she's also a person and he he can't define her by her slayerness that's something ism (laughs) so giles is listening to this and buffy tells him that she got into northwestern and he's like that's wonderful news. Good for you. He has a you. dad moment. It's so sweet. And Wesley says, monsters, demons, world in peril. Uh, and Buffy's like, I bet they have all that stuff in Illinois. And Wesley is firm that she cannot leave Sunnydale. He even like crosses his arms and he's like, by the power invested in me by the council, I forbid it. And Buffy rolls her eyes and Giles says, well, that should settle it. <laughs> Sass. So Wesley reminds them, with Faith gone bad and the mayor's ascension coming up, and Buffy says, well, what if I stop the ascension? What if I capture Faith? If I do that, then all you guys need is to keep this, to keep the run of the mill unholy forces at bay through midterms, and I'll be back at t- in time for homecoming and every school break after that. Can we think about it? And Wesley is saying, if circumstances were different, and Buffy's like, I'll make them different. She's tired of waiting for the mayor to make his move while they sit on their hands, counting down to Ascension Day. Let's take the fight to him. And Wesley is starting to say, no, that's that's really reckless. We don't know anything about the mayor. And Giles stands behind Buffy because Giles has had Buffy's back since he got fired from the Watchers Council. And he says, she's right. Time's running out. We need to take the offensive. Buffy, what's your plan? And Buffy's like, oh, I... <laughs> I don't have a plan. (laughs) She's like, I can't be proactive with Pep. (laughs) And Giles suggests that if they want to take the fight to the mayor, the first step would be to find out exactly what they're up to. And Buffy's like, I I thought you meant a more specific plan with maps and stuff. So they're going to find out. Oh, that's coming, Buffy. Don't worry. (laughs) Leave it to Giles. So we cut to the airport and a plane is landing and a man with a snake face tattoo gets out with a box and he's bringing it to a nearby limo where a vampire is waiting for it. And he tells the vampire that the mayor was supposed to be there in person with the money. He's like, the price just went up. I don't like surprises. And then suddenly he's shot through the chest 
with an arrow and he falls down dead. Surprise. Surprise. Uh, is he human, this guy? We don't really know. I think he is, though. Yeah, I would assume he's human. I mean, he got killed by a measly arrow. Like, that's so uncool. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously. Uh, but, hey, if Faith shot this arrow, she's on the roof nearby. But this means she's killed her second human. Oh, that is a good point. He's a yes. bad courier. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, if he is human, Faith shot him, no problem. And when she approaches, <laughs> the vampire says, I really, this is actually an underrated line of Faith's. The vampire says, you killed him. And Faith says, what are you, the narrator? <laughs> That's good. And she um, she says, like, you know, get the, the keys to the cuffs because the courier was chained to the box. And the vampire can't find the keys, so Faith pulls out her brand new knife, and the vamp is like, well, that, that can't cut through steel, and Faith says, no, but it'll cut through bone. I have Ooh. so many questions. First, well, I guess this this first one's a more of a comment. I don't think that vampire searched very well, because why would this guy handcuff himself to this box <laughs> and not have a key on him? Like, what was his plan when he handed it over to the mayor? Is his hand detachable? Like... <laughs> I think the vampire was just being lazy. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really good comment because I have a lot of things to say about this vampire later on. <laughs> but that's the first My one. My <laughs> other observation is that's that box is not like a standard carry-on-sized item. I don't think that would fit underneath the seat in front of you. I don't think it would fit in the overhead compartment. So like if he was taking a passenger plane, right? Like, did he uncuff himself and put try to fit the box in the overhead compartment? Was there, like, a line of people trying to board and he's just, like, trying to jam it in there the and it's not fitting? stewardess comes and helps. <laughs> yeah, did they, like, let him keep the box on his lap? Like, I, it's not, like, a an inconspicuous briefcase, right? It's, like, he's handcuffed to this kind of ornate <laughs> and bulky item. And uh, it's, I, again, I just have questions. Yeah, many questions. Maybe he kindred it, you know, he like was a stowaway in the underground compartment, in the under compartment. Yeah, so this guy's dead, so we'll never find out how he traveled here via box. But we do have more to say about the vampire later. So we cut to Faith, who's arriving at City Hall with the box. And Buffy, <laughs> bless Buffy's heart. She's watching, she's taking the fight to the mayor. So she's, you know, watching City Hall. And doing her recon. She's using her spy skills like she did back in I Robot You Jane. Praise Moloch. Pla praise Moloch. But this is why it's funny because she's just out in the open. <laughs> her head is just. She's not good at spy. <laughs> We've established that. <laughs> like it's like it's like there's like two shrubs and her head is right in the middle of it. She's not even trying to hide. That cracked me up. But anyway. She watches Faith bring the box inside the city hall. And inside, Faith is bringing the mayor the box, who's super excited to see it. And he's like, what happened to the courier? He was supposed to pay him. And Faith says, well, I made him an offer. He couldn't survive. And the mayor laughs at this. And he's like, you are one heck of a girl. The initiative, the skill. If Buffy Summers walked in here and said she wanted to switch over to our side, I'd say, no, thanks, sister. I've got all the slayer one man could ever need. And this is exactly how happy I would get when someone saves me money. Because the key could not be more happy. <laughs> well, Faith like takes the envelope from him so i don't know if she's gonna like get to keep the money instead oh that's a good payoff too for sure but faith but faith gets sullen when she hears buffy's name because ooh, buffy ooh, everything buffy and Faith's life is worst and the mayor says 
It's because I use the B word, isn't it? Don't tell me you're still sore over the whole Angel Buffy thing. And Faith says, she's over it. She can have him. And again, this just takes me back to enemies when you and I were like, what is this plot with Angel? (laughs) Since when the obsession with Angel? But anyway, Faith starts to open the box and the mayor shuts it hurriedly. Like he's like really worried about her opening it. He's like, don't do that. Yeah, this box seems really easy to open, which again, like you've handcuffed yourself to this dangerous box. We know we'll learn what's inside later on a flight. And it's like, you didn't even lock the box properly. (laughs) Not even one of those like very basic, like, cute little key locks that people put on bridges like just something or like a safety release right where it's like you have to like press like both sides at the same time like it looks like it's just a simple latch yeah and as we find out later in the episode it's quite easy for it to just open accidentally and i i hate boxes like that you know (laughs) like really nice decorative boxes that don't secure properly so it's like you can have them kind of around your house to store things but they're not good for transporting stuff no Great point about boxes, Cara. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, This is where I had more to say about the vampire because the vampire is the chauffeur, right? He drives a limo and he is so respectful of traffic laws (laughs) because he's driving, he's driving, he stops the red light. He's like looking around, do, 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 do. And then Buffy breaks the window and pulls him out. And she's like, what's in the box? And I just laughed at that because I was like, this guy, if he had just ran the red light, this would never happen to him. Right. But then he'd be drawing attention to the mayor. Right. He's a good employee. there'd be questions. And that's the only red light in Sunnydale, so. (laughs) It's it's only one intersection. It's that one. (laughs) So in the library, Buffy's telling Xander and Wesley that it is the box of Gavrock. Oh. Oh, great. Just like the glove of Minigan. (laughs) Like. The box of Gavrock houses some great demonic energy, which the mayor needs to chow down on come a day. And Will and Giles are coming in with maps and stuff, just like they always planned. And the maps are for City Hall from Water and Power mainframe. And Buffy says that the box is being kept under guard in the conference room on the top floor of City Hall. That's all she could get out of that chauffeur vampire before his aggressive tendencies forced her to introduce him to Mr. Pointy. And I was like, oh, Kendra shout out. That's nice. <laughs> That's a really good job at interrogating Buffy. You've, uh, you've definitely been picking up some skills here. I agree. Interrogation skills, 10 out of 10. Spy skills still need a lot of work. (laughs) Maybe Wesley should trade her on that. (laughs) I'm going to create a report card for Buffy based on season three's Slayer skills uh, because she already did the exams for the Watcher's Council. So I'm going to do the outcome of them. Uh, Wesley starts to say what they should be doing in this situation. But Buffy says, I figure we could just enter through the skylight. She'll take Angel with her. Giles agrees with this. Xander says there's a fire ladder on the east side of the building. And Wesley's like, yes, yes, fine. But we still need to consider. And then Giles interrupts him and says, it won't be enough to simply have possession of the box. Willow chimes in and says, we have to destroy it, not just physically, ritually, with some down a dirty black magic and wesley's like now hold on we don't know what such a ritual would require and giles is like i think the breath of atropex or something would be standard for this sort of thing fairly simple recipe and xander's like i'm a ingredient guy and they all start like going off to do something and wesley is like stop he demands they stop he's in charge and he says this is moving too fast we need time to fully analyze the situation and devise a proper and strategic strategy and buffy says that i love this quote buffy's like wes hop on the train or get off the tracks 
I love it too. <laughs> and Wesley says the mayor will have supernatural safeguards protecting the box. Oh, we all forgot about that, did we? And Buffy is saying, well, that's just a job for Wiccan girl. What do you say, Will? Big time danger. And Willow's like, I eat danger for breakfast. And Xander makes uh, a joke just saying, oddly enough, she panics in the face of breakfast foods. And they all go to work. They all leave Wesley behind, who, you know, begrudgingly follows them. Yeah, he's got like, he, like, he kind of like folds his arms again and he hunches over a bit. And his posture is clearly somewhat annoyed and frustrated and a little bit churlish, you know. And I'm just like, it, it's really telling, right? Like, they've cut Wesley out at this point and he's trying to pretend he's still in charge, but he's not. And, and I think Wesley, like, you need to accept that you're not, but because you're so inexperienced, because the Watcher's Council has shaped you into being a Watcher and, and this authority figure, you're not flexible enough and so rigid that when he's confronted by this American insouciance of Buffy's, he doesn't know how to deal with it properly, right? And it's telling that, you know, Giles... <laughs> Well, had his struggles at the beginning of being Buffy's watcher, but because he's more experienced and maybe because of his wild past, <laughs> um, he knew that he had it. He had to become more flexible with Buffy, and that's how they built such a great relationship. Whereas the relationship between Buffy and Wesley is kind of non-existent right now because he doesn't really see her as a person. He's just like, this is my slayer. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't really clued into him that she's not going to listen. Yeah. And Wesley is still so green to being in the field. Right. And I think this shows it. I did make a point here, though, in my notes that as much as I love to see them brush off Wesley because it's hilarious. And you're right. He's not actually in charge. He needs to come to terms with that. But his opinion and his knowledge should be acknowledged at least because he does bring up the supernatural, you know, safeguard around the box. And he does have bring a lot of knowledge about Sunnydale and like his watcher background to this. So as much as I like to see them blow him off, I do think when they're planning something like this, it is worthwhile to hear what he has to say. It's just that he's a no man, right? They're, they're all yes people. They're like, yes, 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 let's go do this. And he's like, no, 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 let's like stand back. And no one likes that in the group. No one likes the, de the devil advocate, but... Sometimes they're worthwhile to hear out. I'm just saying. Xander is on his way to the ingredient store. And he sees Cordelia looking at a sparkly dress in a store. And he decides to go and harass her. Because that's just what Xander does. Uh, he goes in there and he tells her, I have a theory. Your remarks earlier. Grapes are a little on the sour side. Didn't get into any schools, did you? The grades were there. But if it wasn't for that pesky interview, 10 minutes with you and admissions department decided they'd already reached their mean-spirited princess quotas. So Cordelia just looks him in the face and she says, once again, the gold medal for the being wrong event goes to Xander. I'm as stupid as I look, Harris. <laughs> she reaches into her bag and she pulls out letters and she says, read them and weep, creep. And she got into USC, Colorado State, Duke and Columbia. And I looked those up too. Those are all great schools. Really good for Cordelia. We know that Cordelia is smart. She did really well in her SATs. We know all this stuff already. But I think the key here, which it does not surprise me that Cordelia got into these good schools as much as it surprised me that Buffy did, because Cordelia actually has extracurriculars. Buffy has slang. What are you talking about? Non-secret extracurriculars. 
Like Cordelia is on the cheerleading team. Cordelia participates in science fairs, like back in some assembly required. Like Cordelia has stuff to put on her uh, applications where Buffy didn't. So anyway, just just wanted to point that out. I'm not surprised that Cordelia has a bright future in education if she wanted it. And Xander is surprised by this. And he says, oh, did you show them a different side of your father's money? And that irks Cordelia. And she just tells him to go away. And Xander rubs in her, in her face. He's like, well, if you'll excuse me, I have to go back to saving some lives. Carry on. I know you have some important accessorizing to do. This is an interesting inversion of the scene we had in the Zeppo where Cordelia comes upon Xander at the donut place and makes fun of him for being the donut pickup guy, where Xander has more responsibility now. You know, he's getting the ingredients for this spell, and later on he's going to be quite helpful in the whole heist thing. So it's now Xander making fun of Cordelia while they're kind of out in public like this. So I, I'm curious to see, like, was this a reversal of his confidence a result of his experience in the Zeppo? Or are we finally getting a little meatier storyline for Cordelia after so long of her just being relocated into her old position of bully, shallow bully, mm -hmm. where finally we're seeing, okay, something's going on with Cordelia. She's letting Xander get under her skin a bit more, and she's really testy around what's happening with her next year. So we're in a black van outside City Hall. Who's... Whose black van did they rent it for this specific occasion? Is it not Oz's van's van? No, his van's white or well, green. Well, maybe they painted something. it. He changes his hair all the time. <laughs> yeah, you got like a little paint job for this particular outing. Uh, Buffy, Angel, and Willow are getting out as Wesley and Giles are in the front seat. And Giles is saying, okay, if anything should go wrong, Wesley and I will create a diversion for you. And Wesley's like, let's synchronize our watches. But no one's wearing any. And he's like, ah, oh, yes, typical. <laughs> so. They go, Giles says, be careful, all of you. And then he offers Wesley tea as they wait for them to do this heist. And I do love a good heist plot line. Just like I love twins. Right? It's good. Um, so the trio climb up the fire ladder as Oz and Xander are preparing a spell back in the library. And Oz is setting up this pedestal with this big pot on it. Clearly, that's where they're going to do this spell that's really simple to do, apparently. Xander has the ingredients, although I am alarmed because he doesn't seem to know the difference between toad, parts, and sage or something like that. And I was like, Xander, should you be doing this spell? <laughs> Uh, apparently destroying the box is supposed to be a very delicate operation, even though Z Giles said it was going to be really easy. So what is it? Xander says that then it shouldn't be left in the hands of the lay people. And I was like, finally, you're speaking some sense, Xander. Know your worth. You should not be doing the spell. You can get the ingredients. You don't have to understand the ingredients, but like, that's it. <laughs> and Oz is saying that Willow laid it all out in this piece of paper uh, really well. And she drew little diagrams. There's the pedestal and the ingredients on there. And Oz points out that like she even drew Xander and Oz and what they had to do. <laughs> and uh, the little stick figure of Oz has a guitar. We cut back to the roof. There is a skylight. I don't know why the mayor chose to protect the box right under a skylight. Just for shits and giggles, I guess. But they can see the box. They open up the skylight. Willow is saying a spell while she's pouring sand from the roof onto the box. There's like a misty light around it that goes away once she's done the spell. And she's like, oh yeah, I'm bad. <laughs> like, like why, why do you have the box in the middle of a conference room table? Why is it not in a safe somewhere? Because you don't need it until Ascension Day, right? So, Like I said, I think he just was like, 
let's just put it here and see what happens. Let's just <laughs> mix it up a bit. Uh, I love this that Will. Like, it, I know we saw Willow do a misty spell back with those elves in the cave in the Zeppo. Uh, but here's another example of Willow actually doing magic to help mm-hmm. something dangerous that's going on. Uh, and she's really confident in doing it and it works really well. So Willow has been progressing in her Wiccan abilities as well. And Buffy says she gets four stars. Now get gone. <laughs> and Willow leaves as Angel is harnessing Buffy up because I guess they watched Mission Impossible and decided there was only one way to get this box out of this conference room. And that's to lower Buffy down in like a pulley <laughs> and pick up the box like Indiana Jones style. Like where did they get this harness and this pulley contraption? <laughs> and somebody had to carry it up the fire ladder. I'm guessing Angel. Angel, yeah. <laughs> so Buffy picks up the box and an alarm goes off automatically. And two vampires come in. One is Asian. Just got to point that out. I did notice that. <laughs> I've been paying more attention since you keep bringing it up. And I was going to mention that if you didn't. So there he is. Um, another one of my my countrymen. <laughs> Gone too soon. <laughs> They've set this up so that they can have this epic fight where Buffy is stuck in the harness. Because for whatever reason, Angel cannot lift this 80-pound woman up with his arms he could like the pulley gets stuck he can't you know maneuver her back up well when the pulley's jammed like he didn't lube it properly (laughs) right so the pulley's jammed so like no amount of strength is going to unjam that pulley this is a mechanical problem there's so many questions so so many questions 70 questions around the pulley and why they thought they have this like great plan we're going to bring willow we, we have this spell that's going to destroy mean, it, the box. I mean, it is a good plan, but the problem is they were clearly rushing, and they must have, I guess they stole the pulley from the docks or something. You know, I can't imagine they went into some kind of hardware store and constructed it themselves. Seems so, like, it's substandard parts, and they're not used to using the equipment. They probably haven't practiced. You know, we didn't see a montage <laughs> of them doing a run-through first. So I am not surprised that this got messed up this way i'm not surprised either but like another question is why the harness at all buffy could have jumped down she would have triggered the alarm sure but she could have taken that box thrown it up to angel and then jumped back up parkour style like we already saw her jump from the quad to the bell tower or the clock tower in earshot so what the point what i'm getting to is that they wanted this fight to be dynamic with buffy stuck in there for a bit Mm -hmm. they they toss tables around they break chairs it's a really good fight and it takes a long time but also unfortunately the stunt doubles could not be more clear (laughs) (laughs) like their their faces are full on the stunt doubles and hey the stunt doubles carry these fight scenes they're so good we owe a lot to the stunt doubles and i'm glad we get to see their faces but it does take you out of the illusion a little bit i like how in the fight scene they keep tossing the box back and forth to each other and kind of using it as part of a like a weapon very jackie chan of them <laughs> so they knock down the vamps they run out into the hallway and as they run out the front door of the city hall uh the two vampires are chasing them they like duck out of the way and the the distraction that wesley and giles have concocted is that they'll just drive really fast by the by the building and the vamps will chase them and not angel and buffy who get away so we cut to the conference room which is trashed and the mayor is taking it in and he's like this is very unfortunate i just had this conference room decorated for pete's sakes at taxpayers expense and oh yeah and then he chucks a chair and he says They've got my box. And this is the first time that we've seen the mayor lose his cool and show a little Mm -hmm. bit of his anger. 
and it's scary. And we hear Faith approaching and she's saying, yeah, they do, but looky what we got. And she has Willow. She she has Willow by knife point. And the mayor looks at Willow and he grins. And the grin is, the, like, this is the first time I've really seen the evil side of the mayor, in my opinion. Like, he gives this look that's so menacing. And it's like, ooh. At the library, the Scoobies are realizing that they have Willow. And Buffy is freaking out. She's like, how did this happen? And Giles says that he, they thought that she was with them. And Angel says they must have grabbed her when they got to the ground. And he's sorry. And Buffy is like, you know what? It's nobody's fault. We just have to focus and deal. Oz is sitting very stoically at the table, just like not saying anything, just staring. And Buffy tells him that she swears she won't let them hurt her. And Xander says we should go back in, full on assault, and get Willow. And Giles is like, they'll kill her if we do that. And Wesley says, we're assuming they haven't already. And Buffy says, no, no, they, they know what she means to us. She's too valuable as long as we have the box. We trade the box. It's the safest plan. It's the only way. And Giles is saying, yeah, it might well be. And Buffy is saying that they should call the mayor and arrange a meeting. And Wesley jumps in here and he says, the box must be destroyed. And Xander is like, I need a volunteer to hit Wesley. <laughs> and Wesley says to Giles, you know I'm right about this. And Buffy is saying, hey, Wes, do you want to duck and cover at this point? <laughs> and Wesley gets really intense. And he says, damn it, you listen to me. This box is the key to the mayor's ascension. Thousands of lives depend on our getting rid of it. I want to help Willow as much as the rest of you, but we will find another way. Buffy says, there is no other way. Wesley says, you're the one who said, take the fight to the mayor. You were right. And this is the town's best hope for survival. This is your chance to get out. As in like, you can go to university after this. And Buffy's like, you think I care about that? Are you made of human parts? And Giles <laughs> starts chiming in and saying, let's deal with this rationally. They all start shouting. Buffy's mad that Giles is taking Wesley's side. Angel pipes in, like everybody's freaking out. Wesley's saying, you'd sacrifice thousands of lives, your your families, your friends. It can all end right here. We have the means to destroy the box. And Oz, during this kerfuffle, has gotten up, walked over to the pedestal, and he smashes it. He doesn't say a word. After he smashes it, everyone shuts up and looks at him. And he doesn't say anything. He just stares. And he's just like, yeah, I fucking made a choice. <laughs> and Buffy's like, Giles, make the phone call. All right, all right. So this is a good scene. I really like this scene. It's so tense, so dramatic. Um, this is a difficult kind of scene to write because when you have that kind of barely contained chaotic argument going on with the different actors, the different characters kind of jockeying to participate in the conversation, it's difficult to make it flow and feel natural as if it's happening spontaneously. So I think... The writers and the actors and the directors did a really good job with how they composed and filmed the scene, especially at the end there with, like you just said, Oz made the choice for them by destroying the pedestal. It reminds me, I don't know, like several episodes ago, at some point Oz is like, I just felt like this required a dramatic gesture, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's how he thinks. He's not a guy who does a lot of talking, but he is a man of action. And so for him, the choice is clear. There is no choice. He is for Willow. We know this. He And Oz is our precious boy. And <laughs> it makes total sense that he would do this. But because he's such a silent character 
and because we usually overlook him in these situations, it is very dramatic and shocking. And I really, really like how the scene culminates in that. And I love how Buffy doesn't skip a beat. And she uses that as the opportunity of being like, okay, like we're doing this again. Buffy's the one in charge here, not Wesley. Yeah. And I think another great aspect to this scene is that all the characters have their point of view. But I think everyone has a really good point. And like I said earlier, Wesley plays a devil's advocate. But the devil's advocate needs to be heard at least to hear that counterpoint of view. And Wesley's not wrong. His speech is along the lines of, this is the greater good. Mm-hmm. One life, four thousands. And the hero's gig is that they don't negotiate lives like that. It's like, we save the life that's in the most need right now and worry about the consequences of these choices later, which is another reason why I wish this was a spoiler episode. Consequences. <laughs> consequences. But the, but this is the thing. Buffy is in every right to want to save her best friend. Like, it's a fucking box. Give it back to him. I want my friend back. That makes sense. Well, and it's about being a hero, right? And, and who are you as a hero if you're constantly sacrificing everybody who's close to you for some kind of advantage, like a strategic advantage? Mm-hmm. And that's what Wesley's demonstrating he doesn't understand, that if Buffy chooses destroying the box over saving Willow, she is no better than Faith or the Mayor. Because at that point, she, you know, she is giving up something that's human about herself. And I think... One of the common themes in a lot of shows, including Buffy, that are like this is to be human and to be good, to be a hero, means having the vulnerability, which the bad guys will sometimes exploit, of, like you said, wanting to save people, not wanting to make those sacrifices for the greater good. But the theme is that this is something that makes us human, right? The mayor is no longer human, despite his appearance and milk fetish because he no longer feels any kind of connection to other people. Buffy could be like that. Faith is on her way to being like that. Wesley and the Watchers Council want Buffy to be like that in a sense. And we could make an argument that maybe the the members of the Watchers Council are, are not quite human anymore. They want Buffy to be a good little soldier, a good weapon. You know, we see that in movies about the military and stuff, right? Like there is something dehumanizing about the way we inure soldiers to killing, um, just follow orders, right? Because there is something fundamentally human about not being willing to sacrifice lives like that. Yeah. Again, like we can see why Buffy is the hero in the situation. Of course, they're going to save Willow. Willow is a top priority right now. But again, like we have to hear Wesley's side of it too. And I do agree that when Wesley says we'll find another way, I think there could have been another way, but they're just so desperate to have Willow be safe. And then Oz made the choice for them that this is the way they're going to go. And that's that's just the way sometimes these episodes and these situations go with the Scoobies. But what a great scene. Um, we cut to City Hall where Willow is locked in a storage room. She's trying to break out of the window. She's checking the boxes and the drawers in there, looking for something to help her break out. She finds a pencil just as a vampire comes in. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's chattering nervous to, nervously to him as he advances on her. And what he wants to do is bite her. And she's like, did you get permission to eat the hostage? I don't think so. And you're going to be in trouble with the mayor. And the vampire grabs her. And he's like, just a little taste. And as he's about to bite her, Willow floats her pencil, as we saw her doing in Doppelgangland. And she stakes him. 
from behind. It's super badass. Really good aim, too, like with a pencil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he dusts. Willow goes through the open door into the hallway, and she hides from the mayor as him and Faith walk past her. They leave. Willow goes into the mayor's office, shuts the door behind her, and starts investigating. Yeah, like she walks past, and then she doubles back, right? And the moment she goes into the office to investigate, I'm just like, oh, no, Willow. No, this is not this. You know, now is not the time. Choices. Willow made a choice to investigate. And like, I think that she she has every like her intentions are good, right? She wants more information to bring back to the gang before she escapes. But she's clearly not thinking straight because she should know that as long as Amer has her, he's got, you know, something on Buffy. So the faster she escapes, the faster they can, you know, destroy the box and go on with their lives. Mm. So I don't necessarily think Willow has made the most rational or sensible choice here, but I'm also not surprised. Yeah. So so what she does is she does find the books. She looks in his like spooky drawer of of heads, and then he she finds a secret compartment where the books of Ascension are. She starts to read them. Unclear how long she reads them for. Like there's like a montage of her flipping pages. Well, yeah, because she keeps pulling the books out and she's like just sitting down. <laughs> You know, legs crossed, the book spread out around her. Because I think she got carried away, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think she intended. She was just snooping around. And then she saw the books of Ascension. She knows they're a big deal. Um, She's a little bit, you know, attracted to especially the darker magics, as we've been discussing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think she genuinely lost track of time. And she doesn't realize she's been sitting there for that long. And she doesn't hear the door open. Like faith comes in, yeah. And, and but this, I, like, I'm with you, Kara. Like, she should have grabbed a book and ran. Like, she should have tried to escape longer yeah. than she investigated. Whatever. Uh, faith comes in and she's like, "Well, check out the bookworm," <laughs> and she kneels next to Willow and she's like, "Anyone with brains, anybody who knew what was going to happen to her." would try to claw her way out of this place, but you just can't stop Nancy Druin, which is exactly what you and I just said. <laughs> so. Faith and Willow stand up, and Willow says, I want to talk to you. And Faith is like, oh, sure, give me the speech again, please. Like, Faith, we're still your friends. We can help you. It's not too late. And Willow, in a way that's, like, so un- un-Willow, it's it's like her quirk is gone, and she's just being a badass superhero here. She stands up to Faith, and she says, oh, it's way too late. I know it didn't have to be this way, but you made your choice. I know you had a tough life. Some people think you had a lot of bad breaks. Well, boo-hoo, poor you. But you had a lot more in your life than some people. You had friends like Buffy. Now you have no one. You were a slayer and now you're nothing. You're just a big, selfish, worthless waste. Ooh. Faith, her face falls Well, when Willow tells her it's too late. You know what I mean? Like her face falls. And it's such good acting on Faith's side of it too because... Then Faith punches her, right? She punches Willow. She falls down. Not sure how her face didn't break. And she says, you hurt me. I hurt you. I'm just a little more efficient. But I think this is so interesting because what Willow said to Faith affected her. And I think that really shows that as much as Faith has turning to the dark side, as much as Faith is trying to embrace her bad girl villain life and not be somebody who cares anymore she actually still cares a lot she still wants willow and the scoobies to care about her to want her to change so when willow says it's too late it affected her and i think that's really interesting willow stands up and again it's all snark it's all snark no quirk and she's just like and here i thought you just didn't have a comeback (laughs) so good so good so faith 
takes out her knife and Willow says, I'm not afraid of you. But the mayor comes between them. The mayor shows up and he's like, you know, girls, I hope I don't have to separate you two. <laughs> he's like, Faith, play with your new toy later. Something's come up. So Faith backs down. She tells Willow, I got someone. I got him. Yeah. Who are you trying to convince there, Faith? Uh, the mayor says, I received a heck of an interesting phone call. So we cut to the school's cafeteria. The Scoobies have locked the whole place down. They're all in there. Angel, Giles, Wesley, Oz, Xander, and Buffy. Um, Buffy has locked all the doors in the school except for the front door because she says one way out means one way in. I want to see him coming. But then because the mayor is a drama queen, all the lights go out. <laughs> the mayor walks in with Faith plus his two vampires, one white, one Asian. <laughs> Faith has Willow by knife point. And the mayor laughs and he says, well, this is exciting, isn't it? Clandestine meetings by dark of night, exchanges of prisoners. I feel like we should all be wearing trench coats. And Buffy says, let her go. The mayor says, no, not until the box is in my hands. And then he says, so you're the little girl who's been causing me all this trouble. And then Angel's standing behind Buffy and he starts addressing Angel and he's like, she's pretty, Angel, a little skinny. Still don't understand why it couldn't work between you and my faith. Guess you kind of just have a strange taste in women. And Angel says, yeah, well, what can I say? I like them sane. And I was like, what about Drusilla, Angelus? <laughs> yeah, that was Angelus. Angel prefers this woman sane. <laughs> this is such a tense scene. Again, like, this is the first time that uh, the mayor and Buffy are actually interacting face to face. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we they've crossed paths but not really like seen each other before mm -hmm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. something i just thought throughout this episode is just the pacing of this episode is very brisk you know there's very few scenes in this episode that don't move the main plot forward um we went from like buffy talking about schools to spying on the mayor and then the heist happened right after that and then we have the fallout from the heist the hostage situation now we have the hostage exchange this is a tightly plotted episode and the mayor showing up like this is really intense because this is the moment this is the first time that buffy is really getting to confront the mayor and it reminds me of season one and how Buffy never interacted with the master directly until Prophecy Girl. Yeah, that's a good comparison for sure. And I think it's also so fascinating because, yeah, again, this is the big face-off. Buffy and the mayor are meeting, they're interacting, but the mayor is choosing to talk to Angel. And he continues to talk to Angel throughout the scene. So he's not acknowledging Buffy. And I find that very fascinating that he would defer to her male counterpart, her male boyfriend who he has ha interacted with in the past already, but he's not giving Buffy the respect she deserves in treating her like the leader of this group, whereas he gives Faith a lot of respect in being a leader and his right-hand man. So so after Angel says that, Faith kind of pulls on Willow a bit and she makes like a little whimper and Oz is like, Angel, like, you know, he's really worried about her. And the mayor says, I wish you kids the best, I really do, but I hope you don't mind a bit of fatherly advice. I just don't see that much of a future for you two. I don't sense a lasting relationship. And not just because I plan to kill you both, but you've got a bumpy road ahead. 
And again, Buffy doesn't want to talk. She's like, we don't have to talk about this right now. And the mayor laughs and just says, you know, you kids, you don't like to think about your future or you don't like to make plans. But unless you want Faith to gut your friend like a sea bass, you should show a little respect to your elders. And Angel's like, you're not my elder. I've got a lot of years on you. And the mayor, again, addresses Angel. And he's like, yeah, and that's just one of the things you're going to have to deal with. You're immortal. She's not. It's not easy. I married my Edna May in 03. And I think he means 1903. (laughs) And I was with her right until the end. Not a pretty picture, wrinkled and senile and cursing me for my youth. Wasn't our happiest time. Let's not forget the fact that any moment of true happiness will turn you evil. Now, come on, what kind of life can you offer her? I don't see a lot of Sunday picnics in the offing. I see skulking in the shadows, hiding from the sun. She's a blossoming young girl, and you want to keep her from the life that she should have until it's passed her by. And by God, I think that's a little selfish. Is that what you came back from hell for? Is that your greater purpose? So the the mayor has just dropped this, well, frankly, good advice um, onto Angel and Buffy. And then he just shakes his head in disgust. And he literally is like, make the trade. Well, that's what makes the mayor so dangerous. Yeah. Like, he's not lying. He's not wrong, necessarily, here, right? So he is hurting them with the truth. And I, again, I think that's one of the most evil things somebody can do is to use the truth and wield it like a weapon against someone. Yeah, that's why this is such a great, that's why I said the entire speech, because it's a great one to unpack in that, like you just said, he is using something that Buffy and Angel have blatantly been denying against them. And he's doing it because he wants to drive a wedge between them. He wants to hurt them in the only way he can at the moment. And it's very clear that that's why he's doing it, but it's working. And it's true. And it hurts. I just find it so fascinating that the villain of the season, the mayor, is the one to tell them this. Because Giles could have said this. For whatever reason, it hits hard in this particular scene when the mayor tells them. Because the mayor has no stakes in their relationship. He just wants to hurt them. But what he's saying is legit. (laughs) And they feel it. They hear it. And... Ooh, and like this season, the choices that Buffy's going to be making coming up, right? Her potential future, where she's going to go for university, graduation, growing up. That's all tied into this conversation, too. And I don't like the seeds (laughs) that are being planted here through the mayor's mouth in terms of where Buffy and Angel's relationship is going. But it is definitely a reality. Again, it's a realistic reality, but it's also really perfect for this season and where Buffy and Angel have gotten to. So they make the trade. Uh, Faith shoves Willow at Buffy. Oz stands protectively in front of her. Angel gives Faith the box. And that is when Snyder and two cops enter the cafeteria. And they're like, nobody move. And the mayor backs up into the corner. He like skulks away. And one cop locks them in. He just like locks them all into the cafeteria. And Buffy is like, Snyder, get out of here. And Snyder says, you're not giving orders, young lady. I suppose you'll tell me I won't find drugs in that box. No, it's her lunch. <laughs> it's, like... It's like dinner in a box. Um, <laughs> that's when the mayor says, Principal Snyder, I think we have a problem. And he comes out of the shadows. And Snyder is genuinely shocked to see the mayor there. And he's like, Mr. Mayor, I, I had no idea. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. And the mayor is like, no, no, it's, it's I who should apologize coming down here at night. What must you be thinking? Like putting his politician hat on. And 
the cop, because you so wonderfully pointed out earlier, Kara, it's just really easy to open this box. It, it's, it's, there's no problem in opening it at all. Because the cop opens it, because uh, he's holding it. And the mayor's like, no, don't. And suddenly a giant black spider thing jumps out, just like the ones from Bad Eggs. <laughs> Maybe they're related. Yeah, related species. Um, jumps on the cop's face and eats his face, and he dies. And the thing scuttles away. Yeah, so like, um, if you look in the show notes for this episode, I will definitely put, be putting in arachnophobia, insectophobia, trigger warning <laughs> in here, because... Like, spiders don't really scare me, but when they get to be a certain size, I'm just like, okay, that's getting to be creepy. Um, and yeah, I couldn't tell if these things had six or eight legs, but th they're creepy. And, you know, the low lighting and the way they scuttle around, like, this is uh, this is not great if insects and arachnids are not your thing. It's true. Uh, and it scuttles away. They don't know where it goes, right? So Snyder is like, open the doors. And Giles is like, no, we can't let that thing out of here. And... Suddenly, it jumps from the roof onto the mayor's face, and Faith grabs it and throws it away, and it scuttles off again. And just as another one escapes from this box that is still open, the mayor's face heals itself, as we've seen before, but Snyder actually sees that happen. And Buffy closes the box just as another one is about to crawl out, and she snaps his leg off. And one of the spiders jumps on Buffy's back, and she just jumps right back onto her back and crushes it. And the other one is crawling up a wall behind Wesley. Faith takes out her knife and throws it and kills it against the wall. So the mayor, during all this, is taking, he's gotten up, he takes the box, and he tells them, there's about 50 billion of these happy little critters in here. Would you like to see? And he raises the box up as in like to, to show that it's a threat, that he'll release them if they don't let him go. And I was wondering, Kara... Do we think he's lying? Because when he says there's 50 billion in there, imagine there's only like 10. <laughs> but he's just like threatening yeah, them. <laughs> I mean, clearly the box must be accessing some kind of pocket dimension to have 50 billion. Um, but we were also told that he has to consume what's in this box, right? right? So, does that, if, so if he has to eat these creatures, 50 billion is a lot to eat. Yeah. Like that would take you a long time, even if you ate one per second. <laughs> 50 billion seconds is more than a day. Right? Like, it's, like, way more. Like, a day is only about uh, less than 100,000 seconds, right? It's, so like, yeah, I feel like it's either he's either exaggerating quite a bit or he's not going to have to eat all 50 billion. Yeah, yeah, because there's, like, you know, 10 days to graduation. So, like, <laughs> ain't nobody got time, you know? But it works. It, the, the threat works. They back off. Um, he's, like, Faith, let's go. Uh, Faith wants to get her knife that she left behind, but they have to go. So she leaves and she looks sadly back at the knife. And it's so weird. I felt sad. <laughs> I felt sad that she had to leave the knife behind. Is that weird? Yeah, yeah, like she was threatening Willow with it. It's a tool of violence. I know, but I just I just felt bad for her. I'm like, oh, the knife. So Snyder is holding a chair in defense. <laughs> it's like it's like protecting him from the front. And Buffy's like, hey, Snyder, are you alive in there? <laughs> and Snyder just says, you... All of you. Why couldn't you be dealing drugs like normal people? <laughs> and he leaves. I like how he just walks away. You know, he's not like you're expelled. You know, it's it's nice that we're we're past the point that Buffy's going to face consequences for this. Yeah. Uh, also, like, I mean, the mayor was there, right? If if Snyder is anything, it's somebody who respects authority. So if the mayor was part of this, he's like, oh, wait, I'm backing off. So Buffy takes face knife out of the wall 
and she's like, okay, we did all right. And her and Willow grin at each other. In the library, Willow is telling Buffy all about how she stood up to Faith, about how she was a badass. And Giles <laughs> is like, no, this is fascinating. But <laughs> did you actually have your hands on the Books of Ascension? And Willow's like, yep, volumes one through five. And Giles is like, well, is there anything that you can remember that we can use? Like anything at all. And Willow's like, well, I was in a hurry and what? What I did read was kind of involved. There were a few pages that were interesting, but I didn't have a chance to read them in full. And Jazz was like super disappointed by that. But then Willow takes out some pages that she had ripped out and folded in her pocket. And she says, see what you can make of them. And Giles is so cute. He's like so excited. And he like runs off to his office with them. And Buffy tells Willow, this is your night for suave, Will. You should get captured more often. <laughs> but of course, Wesley jumps in here and he's just like, Let's hope there's something useful in those pages. The mayor has the box of Gavrock, and as of now, we are right back to where we started, wouldn't you say? Um, no, Wesley, because now we've confirmed Willow is a magical badass <laughs> who's cool as a cucumber in the face of danger being a hostage. Like, come on. This this was my favorite moment for Willow was when she produced those pages, yes. right? She's like, I tore them out because it, it shows that foresight of like, okay, these are important. I need to do something with them. And then, you know, it's just this nice little reveal at the end and it reminds us how clever she is. So clever. Still, it's so good. So full of love for Willow. I know. And like, and I said this many times this season where I'm like, Willow has been on my nerves for a lot of these episodes, but like the last couple episodes, especially this one, so deserving. Like she's so clever. She's so smart and quick. And you're right. Like the forethought, because even if she was killed, even if something happened to her, eventually they would find her body and on her body, they would find these pieces of paper. So this is fucking brave and smart. Outside of school the next morning, I think, Buffy is leaning against the tree. She's doing what I call the Chinaman squat, where she's just like, it's not comfortable, but she's just like leaning down on it. And um, Willow approaches and she's like, oh, you're having deep thoughts. And I will say one thing about the scene. I think it's very obvious that the voiceovers were done. Like it was dubbed later on in the studio mm -hmm. because sometimes when they do outdoor scenes in these shows, um, yeah. The, the, the wind interferes, so they have to go back and dub it later. And I think this is a very obvious one. Uh, Buffy says that she's never getting out of here, right? She, I kept thinking that if I stop the mayor, but who am I kidding? There's always going to be something. I'm Sunnydale girl. No other choice. No other choice, she says. And Willow says, well, that must be tough because here I am. I can do anything I want. I can go to any college in the country, four or five in Europe if I want. And Buffy's like, okay, well, please tell me that you're going somewhere with this. And Willow's like... No. And she hands Buffy a letter and she says, I'm not going anywhere. And Buffy takes in the letter and it's to UC Sunnydale. And Willow says, I will be matriculating with the class of 2003. Isn't that where you're going? And Buffy like squeals and she jumps on Willow and they roll on the ground together. It's so cute. It's so nice. It's like such a like wonderful showing of friendship between the two. And then Buffy says, you know, you can't, I won't let you, there are better schools. And Will's like, you know, Sunnydale's not that bad. And I can design my own curriculum. If like you said earlier, Kara is true and her parents teach there, she probably gets free tuition to go. And Buffy says, there are safer schools, safer prisons. I can't let you stay because of me. And Willow has a really great speech here where she says, this isn't about you, which is so true. She's like, you know, I'm fond of you. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm fond of you. but. The other night being captured, facing off with Faith, 
things got clear. You've been fighting evil here for three years and I've helped some. And now we're supposed to decide what we want to do with our lives. And I realized that that's what I want to do. Fight evil, help people. I think it's worth doing. And I don't think you do it because you have to. It's a good fight, Buffy. And I want in. Ah, that's you're a hero, Willow. You're a hero. I will correct you here, though. I'm not entirely convinced that Buffy is doing what she has to do because she wants to, and not because she has to. Sometimes, but uh. well, I, I think it's both. I think what Willow's trying to say here is Buffy is meant to be a hero. Like that is her personality, mm-hmm. right? And as I was remarking earlier in the episode, the Watchers Council always sees the Slayers as weapons they don't see the Slayers as human. Because if they did, they would be in favor of their Slayers growing up and getting an education because, you know, smarter is better in terms of, like, combating evil. That's not what the Watchers Council want. They want a young, amenable uh, girl that they can control. You know, they're smart enough for her. They don't need her to be smart and well-educated. So as far as they're concerned, Buffy's education would be a threat um, and, and they just want Buffy to kill, like Faith does. So I think Buffy's right to push against that and want more for herself. But I think Willow is also correct. Buffy can't step away from this role. And it's not because of the expectations on her or her calling or her destiny, per se. It's who she is. She is a hero. And she she's always going to be like that, whether or not... She has her slayer powers, as we saw in Helpless, whether or not she has the blessings of the council and, uh, you know, a watcher like Wesley or somebody like that. Like, this is who she is. And she's going to stand up against the evil. And I think Will is recognizing that and saying, I'm going to stand with you. And that's very powerful. It's so powerful. It's so lovely and moving. It's also just a wonderful, brave choice. So again, the episode's called Choices. Willow has made a super significant choice in this episode that is going to impact the rest of the series. Because it's true, Willow had all these choices. She could have went anywhere, but she's choosing to stay in Sunnydale, fight alongside Buffy, and essentially remain on the series. That's <laughs> what we're saying. Um, Buffy is her choice is a lot less open, right? But she, at the end of the day, is also saying, I'm here. I'm Sunnydale girl. This is where I'm going to be. So Buffy says, I kind of love you. (laughs) It's so sweet. We should all tell our friends more often that we love them. And Willow says, besides, I have a shot at being a badass Wicca. And what better place to learn? And here, you know, I really like what she said about staying and fighting the good fight. But I also can't help but wonder if, Willow is more interested in becoming a powerful witch than in her education as well, because she used her witch ability multiple times in this episode, not just with the pencil or with breaking down that box barrier, but she wrote out a spell for Xander and taught them how to do magic. What you said when the attraction to the Books of Ascension kept her reading instead of escaping. So we can't overlook that that, that her wanting to continue her education in magic is probably just as strong as her needing to, you know, eat scones and learn in Oxford. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Buffy um, says, let's go get mochas. And they're like, great. (laughs) They go. Um, But as they go, Buffy says, it's weird that you look at something and you think, you know, exactly what you're seeing. And then you find out it's something else entirely. And Willow says, it's neat, huh? And Buffy says, sometimes it is. And I don't know what they're referring to there. Uh, What do you think they're referring to? The box of spiders. (laughs) The box of 10 spiders. Um, We cut to Cordelia 
And she is in the back room of the store looking at the same dress she was looking at earlier. And the storekeeper comes in and she's like, Chase, your break's been over for 10 minutes. You still need to restock the shelves and restock the storage room. Cordy looks really sadly at the dress and then gets back to work. Ooh, this is interesting. So clearly Cordelia was not shopping when Xander came to see her. She was working. Huh. <gasps> She's a working class girl now. What's going why? on, Cordelia? What happened? Something's going on with Cordelia behind the scenes. It's making her lash out more than she usually would and let Xander get under her skin. She is working. Something's happening. So last scene of the episode, Buffy and Angel are cuddling in the cemetery. They're having a picnic. It's just not a Sunday afternoon picnic. It's a night picnic. And Buffy is telling Angel about college. Her and Willow are going to go check out the campus on Saturday. She hopes her mom will let her live on on in residence, just like you had said, Kara, because home is a little bit too far away, but she will be close to Angel's mansion, so, which must be right in the middle <laughs> between college and Joyce's house. So she's like, I don't know what the mayor was talking about. How could he know anything about us? And Angel's like, well, he's evil. <laughs> and Buffy's like, big time. He doesn't even know what a lasting relationship is. Probably the only lasting relationship he's had is with evil. <laughs> big, stupid, evil guy. We'll be okay. And Angel's like, we will. And they cuddle, but they look worried. What could this be? Yeah, mean? they know at this point that they're basically doomed. And no, they're not. No. Well, yeah. Are, I mean, yeah. we won't go into any spoilers. We'll see how this pans out. But oh. yeah, like, like this is the tragedy of their relationship, right? No matter how how hard you stand, Bangel, that is the, the you cannot overcome not just the age gap, but the lack of aging on Angel's part versus Buffy. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there would be magical ways to work around that, and that would be certainly some fun fan fiction, right? But that that's why the relationship is so potent as a storytelling device, right? Is because at the end of the day, no matter how much they work out their emotional issues, mm. there is this fundamental inequity in their chronology and it means that even though they may be happy for a time it'll be difficult for them to be happy forever but i would also add is that not true for almost every relationship right mm -hmm. like whether you're whether it's a romantic relationship or a platonic one mm -hmm. whether it's something that lasts for a year or 10 years or for the rest of your life there's never there's no such thing as forever Right. And I do think that there is something to be said for enjoying having people in your life for as long as they are in it. Right. Maybe you marry somebody and maybe the marriage only lasts 10 years because that's how long that it lasts. And that doesn't mean it was a mistake and you shouldn't have done it in the first place. So by the same token, even if Angel and Buffy know that this cannot last for the rest of Buffy's life, I don't think it's wrong for them to embrace what they have right now and we were talking about them being in denial earlier i think that was definitely true in season two i don't know if that's true right now i don't know if they're in denial so much i i think it's okay for them to enjoy what they have they will have to deal with it eventually, but they don't have to deal with it right now. Well, look at this very conversation, right? Like, he's a big evil guy. He doesn't know us. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. That's that's denial. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's fine. No, no, yeah. no, but what I'm, I'm agreeing with you because they're choosing to be in denial right now because they can. They still have time, right? They can still enjoy this for what yeah. it is. She's not old and wrinkly yet. Like... Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, 
hey, I believe that between now and the end of the season, they're going to work it out and they're going to be together forever until she's old and wrinkly and then she dies. So nothing's going to happen in the next couple episodes. Everything's good. They're going to continue on with this picnic and then they're going to find a way to have sex and it's going to be amazing. So who's your hero? <laughs> Steph just completely shuts down that conversation. She's like, I don't want to hear any more negativity. Speaking Cara. of denial. <laughs> everything's fine everything's fine everything's Um, good i think it's pretty clear that the only possible choice for hero in this episode is willow rosenberg Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. our girl did really well what a fantastic episode for willow even better than doppelgangland which was a willow centric episode she fucking rocked she kicked ass this wasn't willow centric but this was a lot of willow stepping up and us seeing that culmination of her growth, right? As you observed earlier, her use of magic in kind of battle conditions, uh, the way she stands up to faith, she keeps her cool, Mm. her retrieval of the pages, you know, it's just full marks across the board. Good job. And like, oh, it's so satisfying because we've been watching since season one, clearly season one, all the way through two and three. Like I, I kept bringing up her lack of quirk here because she's taking on Buffy's snarky, bravery in the face of something that's threatening to her and she learned that from fighting evil with Buffy for three years and she said that she's like I felt powerful being like you I want to continue that growth yeah wow <laughs> love that for her all right we've got a hot steak and also kind of a hot steak but also just kind of a fun little creative surprise for y'all oh, yeah <laughs> let's do our hot steak first uh this one came in from Maria who wanted to talk about faith in this episode. So Maria says, Faith has never had stability before. Not with a parental figure, not with romantic relationships, maybe not even friendships. She said in Enemies that her mother was always drinking and passing out and never giving her attention. And my guess is that when she did give it, probably it was to mistreat Faith. I also believe that maybe the reason Faith is sexually aggressive with men could be rooted in sexual assault that she might have suffered at some point in her life. So she always wants to be in control of sexual situations. You can only imagine what it would feel like to be given the Slayer power with everything she's already been through. Uh, She enjoyed it too much, had fun with it too much, because she never really had power of any kind over anything or anyone. Uh, She threw all of her frustrations onto the demons and the vampires, but never dealt with any of it. Just acted like it was about having fun with the power. So Faith is at the same time desperate for connection and terrified of it. Perhaps she doesn't even believe she's worth it, that she doesn't deserve to have love and support, which is why the more the gang tried to help her and be there for her, the more she pushed them away. So interesting. Mm. I I like the theory, and I, I like that the show leaves this open to interpretation. I would be very disappointed if the show had established that Faith is a survivor of sexual assault because I don't like when that's used as a plot device to explain why somebody has trauma or why somebody embraces this kind of power all the time. Um, so I think that, that would have been a very shallow use of sexual assault on the show. But I, I, I think your reading of it, Maria, is you know quite legitimate in, in how we can interpret what we know of Faith's past. Yeah, and everything that we've seen from faith you and i can agree that she does have a lot of fun with the power that the power is something that she has control over in her life so she embraced that wholeheartedly and of course it comes out more aggressively 
than Buffy, but that's part of her past. That's part of her being like, now I'm in control and I can control my sexuality just so like I control how often I go out and hunt and what that gives me, that that power back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's totally on point. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Maria, for that hot steak. Now we have a little treat for everybody. So longtime listener and supporter of the show, Casey, wrote into us and came up with a little um, exchange for some backstory behind Giles and the soul-taking demon in Enemies, who is apparently like friends or acquaintances with Giles, and he owed Giles a favor, right? So Casey says, this is how I think the exchange went down. Mind you, the demon calls Giles, not the other way around, like it actually happened in the episode. But whatever. We just thought it was fun. And, you know, once in a while, we like to surprise people with some fun stuff in our episodes. So we really appreciate you sharing this with us, Casey. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So take it it away, Steph. All right. Here's the conversation between Giles and the demon. I will be playing the demon today. Um, Rupert. Ripper baby, how's it going? Hey, how are you? How's Deborah and the kids? Oh, they're great. Thanks for asking. Again, so sorry about Jenny. So, so sorry. She sounded like a real peach. Anywho, the reason I'm calling. The mayor of your town went through all this chanting to summon me to kill your homeboy Angelus. I bet that was exhausting on his part. His arms must be tired. Bet he didn't know I was already in town. (laughs) And knowing that I owed you one, I figured I'd give you a call. See if that's cool or not. Bloody hell. That won't do at all. Figured as much. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop Deborah off at DTA, which is Demon Teacher Association meeting, and then swing by the library and we can figure something out. Sound good? Smashing. I'll make us some tea, bust out the old record player, and call my girl Joyce. She has the good stuff. <laughs> and so it is done. Peace be with you. <laughs> and scene. And scene. Uh, praise Moloch. Casey, what an amazing script you've written for us. <laughs> more. We need more. <laughs> All right. Um, finally, we have a new Buy Me A Coffee supporter to thank, a new chosen one. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, Kyle says, I started watching when I saw that the show was airing on Logo, which was an LGBT television network at the time. Ooh, interesting. Mm. I knew my best friend at the time liked the show, so I jumped in while they were airing season six. He says his first episode was Double Meat Palace. What an episode to get in on. Oh, my. Um, I was hooked immediately because it was one of the few shows I knew of with queer characters. Mm. So something for us to think about going forward. Um, you know, obviously we've met Larry so far. Who knows how many other characters we've met that just aren't out yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, that is something that's going to happen as we go forward in the show. Uh, Kyle says my favorite character is Tara. I relate with her a lot. And my favorite episodes are, though they might seem kind of basic, The Body and Once More with Feeling. I can't choose. I've never seen anything like them on TV before. I can't wait till you two get to season four so I can hear you discuss some more overtly queer themes in the series. And I appreciate the queer reads you give because there's so much here for queer viewers to relate to. Uh, Thank you, Kyle. Um, And Kyle also has started a Buffy podcast with his friend called Buffy Gaze. So if you want more queer readings of the series, you could go check out their podcast. Thanks, Kyle. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This was really fun. And we are getting to the end of the season. So once again, 
Who knows? So if anybody has something to say about season three in general, or you want to contribute to our faith on trial conversation, please send us your thoughts sooner rather than later. And we will do a call out for those things on Instagram soon. Thank you to our other chosen ones, Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, Tara, Molly, Teza, and Alexandra. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.